Welcome to another episode of Team Performance, Winning Ways for Uncertain Times. My name is Spencer Horn. I am your host today, and I am joined by my talented, well-spoken, scholar and gentleman friend, Christian Napier. Christian, how are you today? Well, Spencer, that was a very kind introduction. I am doing well this beautiful morning here in Salt Lake City. How are you? Fantastic. Very, very excited to be with you as always and our guest today that you get to introduce today. I'm excited to hear all about her. Oh, well, it's my genuine pleasure to introduce our guest, Spencer. I'm super excited because this is the first time that I've actually had an opportunity to introduce a guest. Before I start, full disclosure, um, our guest today, Jackie Edmiston, I've known and worked with her for more than 10 years. I can say that she's one of the kindest, most genuine, most intelligent people I've ever had the pleasure to work with. She is also very humble and her bio is very understated. So I am going to pump Jackie up today. Jackie's worked in the major event space. And when I say major events, I'm talking Olympic Games level events the pinnacle in our industry for the last 22 years. And in the last 12 years, she's really focused on emergency preparedness in games parlance. We call that operational readiness, but it's more than that. She helps organizations with readiness, crisis management, risk management, business continuity, and contingency planning. And she is one of the leaders in this space, one of the leaders in the world in this space of operational readiness. Now, in 2018, Jackie had an inflection point and she had a, a, a personal crisis of resilience. And since that time, Jackie's been on a journey and I guess made it her mission to not just lift herself out of that, but also to help other people learn how they can better manage their stress levels, enhance their resilience, prevent burnout and achieve some balance in their life. And she has founded an organization called Breathe, which is dedicated to helping people find their inner calm. And that's that's something we can all use right now. So Jackie, thank you so much. Welcome to our humble podcast. Thank you. I'm humbled by your introduction. I think I'm blushing a bit over here. So thank you very much. That's kind of you to say. It's a pleasure to to see you once again, Jackie. I want to, you know, we could we could spend hours talking about all the work that you've done uh, in the Olympic Games space and major event space, and also in other industries. But we're really here to talk about this this inflection point. Breathe. Um, how did that start? Why did it come to be? And why don't you just tell us a little bit about that company and and your mission? Yeah, well, I think um, you know, as you said, it kind of arose from my own personal journey with burnout. Um, and having worked in the major event space for twenty two years, um, you get used to you know certain demands placed on you, certain hours, certain workloads, certain travel commitments, and certain things. And um, I think, you know, it just all caught up with me at some point. Um, and I think over, a, it was an 11 month period, I guess, where I kind of slid into what I consider my burnout. Um, and I had a warning sign, I guess, where, you know, I, I came back from a long haul trip from London to Vancouver and I actually collapsed at the passport control counter when I got there because I was just so exhausted. Um, and just a tip, I would never if you had a choice, don't pass out at the passport control counter because that causes all kinds of commotion in an airport. Um, but that was kind of a, my first warning so, sign, if you like. And then it was a progressive 10 months where I just, you know, I was getting less and less sleep. I was working longer and longer hours. Um, I started to, you know, my exercise routine started to drop away because I didn't feel, you know, I had the energy for it and I was tired. 
Um, and then I started to lose my appetite as well. So I wasn't really eating properly because I was so tired. And, and you know, it just, it all, you know, the, the cornerstones, if you like, of my personal resilience just started to erode over that period. Um, and certainly my relationships suffered. I was, I was coming home and getting a bit snappy with my husband. I didn't have the patience that I ordinarily would with my daughter. Um, and, you know, your mindset starts to shift as well, right? So you start to lose focus. You start to um, withdraw a bit. So the last month before I resigned my job, I actually I worked out of home. And no one really knew because I, I could kind of cover it up with, you know, working between a client office and, and my employer's office. So everyone just assumed I was at the other office. So for a month I kind of hibernated because I I was kind of conscious of the process on some level but, but not enough to to acknowledge it, I guess. Um, and it wasn't until I got really, really sick. So I started to develop this kind of hacking cough um, and something with my heart. So I was having kind of heart arrhythmia or some kind of, you know, palpitations. And I just, you know, there was a real wake up call moment where I was kind of like, wow, this, this is not going to end good if I don't exit this somehow. Um, and I took the decision to resign, which was a bit of a um, snap decision really in the moment but I just I thought that was the only option really at that time to kind of get myself back on track and, and to start my own recovery so so yeah that was kind of what happened out of that I kind of I guess I had a period of one and a half to two years where I then started to delve into you know rebuilding myself um, and you know the first thing within the first month actually I was sleeping far better um, I'd resumed an exercise routine. I was eating again and, and kind of really dosing up on fruit and veg. Um, but on the side, I was also doing a lot of exploration into things like meditation and mindfulness and um, stress management courses. And and I just I kept just following my curiosity with it, if you like. And I just found that I got more and more interested in this idea of mental fitness and and how we can build that much like we can physical fitness, uh, but how. A lot of us don't really acknowledge the role of mental fitness in our day-to-day -day life. So anyway, it was kind of, I mean, it was a gift. If I look back on it, I, I do consider it a gift in time to have kind of gone through that whole gamut of experience. Um, and Breathe was born out of that. So when I found myself out of work as a result of COVID-19, I had a pause, as we all kind of have, and I reflected on what I might want to do next. And and it was this combination of, you know, being intrigued by what was happening with the pandemic from an emergency management perspective, but also being intrigued by what I was going through on the kind of stress side and the resilience side. How can I combine these two things, you know? And so Breathe kind of came out of that and the surveys came out of that. Jackie, thank you for sharing that story. When when you talked about collapsing, I, I literally I, I got chills because I could see that and, and everybody jumping into action and and it, it's such a it, it seems like something that is so uh, painful that, that can happen. Yet so many executives, I believe, are str struggling with similar types of, of challenges. And in your experience, how serious of a problem is executive burnout? And what does that cause in, 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 in the organization and in the personal lives? What's the, what's the cost and, and how can we avoid that? Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's far more of a problem than we realize. Um, and I think as you heard with my story, 
people hide it, right? Because they're, they're used to operating at a certain level. They're used to having people know them as operating at a certain level. And so there's very much a stigma around it. And there's very much a sense of wanting to cover up and, and kind of present a facade that everything's okay. Um, so I think it is quite um, common actually. Um, and I think, you know, you see increasing levels of absenteeism in the workplace um, and that is starting to become more and more prevalent. Um, it's hard to pinpoint it exactly to, to stress or burnout, you know, because you never really get that detail. But there's a good chance that that is part of it. Um, and I think I think it's incumbent on all of us to to develop a better culture for for openly talking about mental well-being, really. And I think that starts from the top down in organisations. You know, it's really a culture of being open about it, transparent about it, not feeling like you will be, you know, either ridiculed or punished for for having those emotions or feelings and and having it impact your work life as well. Um, so yeah, I think I think we all have a role to play in that in, in furthering a culture around it. I, I agree. And uh, you know what's I'm interested in right now, it's interesting that absenteeism, we're we're forced to be absent from the workplace right now because of COVID-19. Yet I'm interested in your perspective that even though people are working from home and supposedly have more time down, it seems like that's not really true because it seems like many of us are working harder than we've ever worked before. And so the chances for burnout could actually be increasing right now. I'd, I'd love your perspective on that. Yeah. And actually I've started to read a lot of articles where that's, that, that is the case. That is something that's evolving through this pandemic. So, um, and again, I think there's a, a responsibility in workplaces to acknowledge that working from home doesn't mean that you suddenly lose kind of a you know a start day, a start time of the day and an end day at the time of the day. You need to still consider what a what a typical work day looks like. And just because you know I've lost a commute in the day or the evening doesn't mean that should suddenly be taken up with work because it's available to be taken up with work. Um, Cheryl Sandberg released um, an interesting article and study around the double double shift of women right now. So she, her examination of this is around a gender perspective um, and women already in most cases had kind of a disproportionate burden, if you like, of, of kind of working mum but then coming home and shouldering the majority of the, the childcare responsibilities and domestic work responsibilities. And now what's coming out of COVID is that, is that that's exemplified even more because you've not only got that double shift that they were doing already, but you've now got kind of homeschooling added to the mix. You've got elder care added to the mix. So, so the incidence of burnout within women right now is becoming apparent. Um, and, yeah, so it's something we really need to be conscious of and addressing somehow in the workplace. I totally agree with what you're saying uh, uh, with women, and we, we have seen that. And you've also mentioned at the beginning that, you're a curious person and your curiosity will allow you to go beyond what you feel in your gut and really try to find out what's going on in the world. And to do that, you decided to conduct some surveys. I want you to tell us about these surveys that you did with respect to COVID. Um, you've done a couple of these surveys. What was the impetus for doing the surveys and what are some of the key findings? Yeah, so initially they were kind of born out of a curiosity. I mean, I think we're in an incredible learning moment right now with the pandemic, notwithstanding the obvious hardship that a lot of people are facing. But nothing like this has happened since 1918. So I think there is 
again, I feel like a sense of responsibility for us, particularly from an emergency management perspective, to learn as much as we can about what we're experiencing. Um, because there is every likelihood too that we will start to experience these events more frequently um, as we move forward the way we are arguably interacting with the planet. Um, so anyway, it was born out of curiosity, but then it was also, well, how do I kind of mesh this with what I'm learning at the current time um, and what I'm learning about stress and resilience? Um, and so that's where it kind of, you know, the two coincided or intersected. Um, and so the first one, the objective for both was the same, so to really understand mental well-being through the pandemic. Um, but the timeframes being what they were, the first one really focused on lockdown. Um, and that, you know, the majority of respondents were in kind of their fifth week of lockdown. Um, for the Italians, they were already at about eight weeks. So for them, they'd been in there a long time. Um, and then the second one was really the transition point of coming out of lockdown and starting to re-engage with, you know, society and life activities and so forth. So it was really to see, you know, firstly, what, what kind of stresses are we experiencing in those moments and how is that changing over time, which I think has been quite interesting to see as well. Um, the first one, what really came out of that one was, you know, if you hadn't been directly impacted by um, the, the physical health side of things, um, your experience of lockdown was quite different, right? So, you know, we had people releasing humorous videos, we had people baking, we had people doing exercise videos, and for some the experience has been quite incredibly different to people who've had to, you know, go through the impacts of losing a loved one, for instance. Um, but there came out of that a real sense of gratitude. So, you know, the top five key themes, gratitude was the first one, and I think we're more accessible to gratitude when we, when we lose things, when we, when we lose, you know, a loved one or when we lose our personal freedoms. And so that feeling of gratitude is quite accessible to us. Um, we were also very conscious of our connections and how important those are and how interconnected the world is. Um, and the, you know, the third one that came out was change, change being necessary. So I think, you know, there was a lot of reflection going on in that period. There was a lot of, you know, how do, we, how do we change our world so that we interact with it differently afterwards? Um, and then in the second one, it's shifted a bit, I have to say. So the gratitude is still there because we are still kind of just emerging. Um, but I, I think what I've seen now is there's inevitable tension that's starting to arise because there's, there's a camp that kind of supports the public health argument and there's a camp that is starting to you know, support the economic recovery argument more. And this is something we're going to have to learn to coexist with, I think, because there's going to be some very divisive opinions around this. Um, and it's not to say one is, you know, more correct than the other, that they're both equally quite important right now. But there will be people that have very strong opinions about that. Also, the way the government has responded um, in terms of lockdown and um, easing of restrictions has been quite different around the world. Um, and it's evidently that's causing a lot of stress for people. So the Americans were most vocal actually um, in terms of feeling that some of the decisions, the inconsistencies between federal and state advice causes stress for them um, and that some of the approaches, again, this tension between economy and um, health, that that's creating division within the country um, and not unity when we arguably we need it the most.
You know, Jackie, this is um, there. Yeah, there absolutely is this dichotomy that that I'm experiencing and seeing, and it is true we are experiencing this pandemic very differently. And and for some, you know, I, I was talking to a healthcare executive in New York in the Adirondack region, which is a you know a mountainous region there in New York, and a lot of the people there are were very poor. They they didn't have uh, a lot of the resources that other places had. They refused to lock down because they had to work. And so in some cases, you know, I even as I was reading your survey, there was a quote in there that that we've actually mentioned part of it. it the cure is worse than than the disease, right? And and the impact of this economically is going to go far beyond what we're experiencing with you know, the, the distancing and the, and the lockdown, but for some people, it's almost a necessity that they, that they work and, and in some cases put themselves and others at risk or, or they, they become homeless or, I mean, this is, there's so many people that are anxious right now. It's one of the, the greatest causes of anxiety, according to your study. And, and my experience is the future of the economy and their livelihoods. Yeah, and that was born out in the survey too. There was a question around, you know, what is causing us the most stress right now? And the economy was was higher than the prospect of a second wave or, or having the infection ourselves. So so we are try, starting to shift in that direction. Um, interestingly, in the first survey, it was um, 6% of people had been, you know, they were either sick or knew someone that was sick or had lost someone. But 77% of people had been impacted from an economic sense. They'd either lost their jobs, they had to reinvent themselves, um, they were working increased hours or decreased hours or had to take a leave of absence. So, so the impact for a lot is around that economic piece. Um, and actually, to your point, Spencer, in Ghana, I think it was, they actually they stopped lockdown because with poverty also as another kind of factor you know, to address, they were just finding that, I mean, they just couldn't do it, right? They were, they were crippling people every day. So it was that trade-off, if you like, for keeping people going financially and physically and, and risking getting the d- disease. So. so Jackie, what I'd like to know is if I can understand the survey results correctly, it seems to me that as the lockdowns are easing, the stress levels are rising <laughs> because now we're having to confront the reality of our, of our situation. Yeah. So how can people find some inner peace in this time of turmoil? You've done a lot of research for yourself and you've looked in, uh, into ways that people can also find their inner calm, as you say. So what are some of the things that people can do to resolve this anxiety and and start to be productive and make a difference again? Yeah, it's not an easy question, is it? But I think, you know, there's a few things we can do. Um, so if we start to think about self-efficacy and improving our self-efficacy, so where is our locus of control? And if we're resting our locus of control with, you know, federal government decisions, state government decisions, we are going to create inevitably stress for ourselves probably because those things are not always in harmony with our own belief system. So what we can do is is kind of follow our own instincts, you know, just because, you know, they say things are open, if you have anxiety about going out and about leaving your bubble, stay home, you know, or, you know, you have still an element of choice in this. Um, and I think people need to be just reminded that the choice is theirs at the end of the day as, as to whether they social distance, as to whether they wear a face mask in public, as to whether they go back into the office. 
um, well, to some degree, arguably, but, but yeah, so it's just, it's understanding we have some, some locus of control in this. You, you get a lot of stress when you feel like you don't have control. And so yeah. if you can just focus on things you can have that you have control over, then that's a positive. Um, what are some of the other, um, so the, some of the other ideas or things that you found through your own journey that helped you kind of regain uh, yeah. some calm and some peace that could be applied by other team leaders, business executives, uh, business owners? Yeah, I think, um, you know, bringing more of an awareness around compassion as well is, is there are going to be people with differing opinions now, but I think we can all, you know, there's a, there's a meditation that I'm thinking of called a, it's just like me. So it's the idea of seeing everyone as in some way, just like us. And I kind of, I like that idea because we don't know what's going on for other people. And when we step outside, we don't know if someone's just lost someone. We don't know if someone's hurting because they've lost their job. You know, we, we really don't know what's going on for other people. So if someone cuts us off on their way to the, the grocery store and things like that, it's, it's trying to settle into a moment of pause and breathe, <laughs> essentially, like the company says, but it's just finding a little bit of inner pause, inner strength, and just acknowledging that we don't know what their experience is today. And perhaps there is a reason for them cutting us off. But at the end of the day, what is that to us? It's not a lot. You know, we can, we can move on from that. Uh, Jackie, I'm interested in your experience. You know, Christian talked about your many years of experience in emergency preparedness and succession management and, and really helping organizations deal with crises. Well, they're dealing with crises in, in abundance right now. So what what can they be doing to move forward and what can we do in our organizations to to make sure that we have continued, you know, leadership continuity and, and our organizations are strong going forward. You said that going forward, we may have more experiences like this. What can we do to prepare going forward and be, increase our success and, and learn from these, these challenging situations? Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, a lot of people said in the survey even that they didn't feel prepared for this. Um, and arguably that's a global statement in many respects. Um, I think as a business owner, you want to sit down and you want to know what your risks are um, and you want to have a good sense of what, what those are in terms of probability and likelihood. And then you want to start to address those. So everyone said, you know, they weren't prepared for this, but they will be next time. But what else is sitting out there? that you haven't thought about and will be tomorrow's crisis, you know. Um, so it's really getting a handle on that. And, um, and preparedness is key because, it, again, it, it puts control back into our, into our lap kind of thing, you know. So, um, so looking at all your threats. Um, also, I think, you know, developing this culture of being, being more open, being more transparent, and especially around mental well-being as well as physical well-being, and really starting to envisage the idea of mental fitness being the same as physical fitness you know we openly talk about going to the gym why don't we openly talk about having a meditation system uh, you know meditation session or going and speaking to someone you know whether it be a therapist or someone else um i think too is is knowing you know part of preparedness too is is having a clear succession plan you know there will be people in leadership position now who are not prepared for 
the mental aspect of this, the mental well-being. You know, they will be good number crunchers. They will be good strategists. They will be good, um, you know, business people, but not necessarily have the kind of the softer skills around compassionate leadership. Um, so I think it, it doesn't necessarily fall on the leader to take care of that. It's finding the right person within the organisation to take that on if they're not capable of that or if they don't have that skill set. You know, one of the things that that I am learning in, in, in my experience, in my work, is that one of the most important, if not the most important skill that organisations are screaming for right now is empathy and not necessarily the empathy that we always think, oh, we understand where people are coming from. It's so much more than that. It's how to respond appropriately to a given situation. So customer service, working with your clients and working with your employees, it is a huge issue. And we call it the soft skill, but it actually has hard bottom line impacts on the organization. And yet empathy is actually waning in in availability in, in employees and leaders. Yeah. And there's a huge kind of industry, I think, now growing out of, you know, emotional intelligence or EQ. Um, and there's groups such as Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute. Um, their program was born out of Google, for instance, that was so successful internally that they've now started to take that globally. Um, and I was lucky enough to do one of their two-day courses last year as, as part of my <laughs> discovery, if you like. But there is so much to be said, I think, for, for compassionate leadership. And it is getting more traction in terms of um, not being seen as weak. You know, it, it's a necessary skill now to move forward. And for those organisations that can embrace this idea of EQ instead of just IQ, those are the ones that will have, you know, greater sustainability and longevity, I think, now in the current climate. Yeah, it's really interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, from a sports perspective, we would call coaches that were compassionate, they would be called players coaches, right? Mm -hmm. um, people that can get along with the players, not necessarily enable terrible behavior, but they uh, they can understand what they're going through, empathize, as Spencer said. Those are the coaches now today, you know, if we look at the NBA, for for example, for basketball, um, when you look at the coaches that are that are the most successful at the highest levels, they are coaches that are now employing more, more of those emotional intelligence aspects into their coaching. Yeah, definitely. And I think too, um, you know, when we think about compassion, we think about it as being, um, you know, an easy way to deal with people or a softer way to deal with people. But actually, you know, when you start to read more and more about compassion, it's about making the right decisions actually. So compassionate leadership is bringing the right decision to the table. And sometimes that's a hard decision. So sometimes it is making the difficult call, but it's done in a way that's empathetic and understanding. So it doesn't mean shirking responsibilities from what can be tough, tough um, dialogues. I really appreciate you saying that. And, and, you know, so often we think of this, these soft skills, it's just something that is relegated to second class, uh, learning skills, but it's so, so difficult to do them well, and they make such a huge impact. I really appreciate you pointing that out. Um, you know, the, you, I love the survey. Uh, I love the, you know, really highlighting some of the, the fears and the concerns and the gratitude and all that. If someone wants to 
have access to the survey? Where do they find it? Uh, yeah, so liveyourinnercalm.com um, is where the surveys are right now. It was only available as a subscription-only service, but now I'm making it available free. Um, free downloads will be available at the end of this week. That's that's fantastic. I, and I have a, a follow-on question about, uh, you know, we normally introduce and we didn't, we kind of skipped our banter a little bit, Christian, because we were so excited to hear from you, Jackie, but you're coming to us from Switzerland. I, I'm just curious, what's going on with this situation where you're at? What's it like where you are and what you're doing and, and, and what do you do right now to keep your, phys- your mental fitness strong? Yeah. Well, uh, it's been interesting. So Switzerland's actually, um, we're in a pretty good position right now in the sense that daily new cases is around 30 or so. Um, so yeah, things are starting to open. Things have been open for about a week. Um, I had quite a strange experience in the week is that I, I had an appointment earlier in the week, which I went out for and noticed that people were very, you know, very obediently kind of following the social distance norms. The, uh, about 50% of people had face masks on. Um, and then we went out last night actually, um, thinking to have dinner and I noticed a very different reality actually. So I didn't see any face masks. I caught a very crowded bus to the, to the dinner venue and I thought, wow, we're kind of starting to forget all of this already. Um, so it was, it was kind of interesting to see that. But in terms of what I've been doing for the last nine weeks, I guess now, is, um, is I try and just create a period of certainty within the day because everything's so uncertain right now. So that's been my focus is, is what can I create that's certain? And um, for me, it was, it was getting outdoors once a day. And I kind of had in mind to do 10,000 steps, but some days I felt like it, some days I didn't. So I kind of, I approached it with some flexibility, but that was my goal is to just get outside and do 10,000 steps or thereabouts. And and that was my thing each day. And that was, um, I only started that in about the second week. And I found that really for me, very grounding. And that was, that was enough for me actually. So for the, for the nine weeks, that was what I really focused on. And that was enough for me. Um, but I also started baking really strangely. I have never baked in my life and I was baking <laughs> all the time. <laughs> it's strange. You know, eating is, is like a pastime right now and, and it's so important. <laughs> I mean, we've been doing takeout in our family and this week for the first time in, I don't know how many weeks, my wife and I went to a restaurant and sat down in Bountiful, Utah. There's a pizzeria, wood-fired, very run by Italians. It's amazing. It's called uh, Tiamo Pizzeria. And, you know, I talk to the owners all the time and they really struggle during the week for business. The weekends are great. So on Wednesday we went in, we were the only ones in there uh, until some people came. So we were plenty socially distant. They didn't bring us a bill. You know, we just paid no touching with our credit card at the end. It was great. Food was fantastic. It felt so good to get mm-hmm. out. We were just my wife and I sitting next to each other. It was, you know, and talking to the, the restaurant owner was, was, was fun. It felt good to actually support another yes. business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I was a bit, um, you know, I'm asthmatic and not a, not a bad one, but I guess it's enough to, you know, question whether you bother going, doing too much stuff yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, so going to the restaurant was kind of a, oh, should we do, should we not? But then just, yeah, being able to support the local business um, is a big thing. I think that does feel like you're making a, a real contribution to people's recovery. Um, also just being outside, like you said, it was so 
I mean, I was. I was kind of overwhelmed by a sense of gratitude of just being able to to walk around and, and go through town again and walk by the lake and just, you know, experience the good weather that we had yesterday too. And, yeah, so it is, it's been nice to kind of get back out there again. Well, I have to ask a question. Hmm. When it comes to the baking, I'm talking <laughs> with some of my other friends and colleagues there in Switzerland. They mentioned that they were having a difficult time, at least uh, as of a few weeks ago, finding yeast. So did you have ingredient shortages uh, that you had to kind of work your way around when you're trying to do all this baking? Yeah, we did. And because this is a new phenomenon for me, I never, I never owned flour or baking soda or anything before this. So, so for me to read through recipes and find that yeast was on there and baking soda and baking powder, I mean, I don't even know what baking powder is, but, but yeah, yeast did come up in a few of the recipes and I would go into the grocery store and I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't find it anywhere. So yeah, we had to we had to borrow some from from neighbors, and I, now I have you know sacks of flour in, in storage, <laughs> but but we could not find yeast. It's crazy. Everybody must have been doing what you were doing, Jack. Like, well, we can't go out, so let's bake our own stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's it's funny though because the, the baking there's something in that too, right? Because um, there's been a few articles written about that too, because again, I, I think it's this creation of something that's certain and something that's, you know, it's a distinct project. You can start it, you can finish it. And there's something at the end of it, which gives you a sense of accomplishment and achievement. And, you know, it's, so I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of us started doing it, (laughs) I guess. Jackie, I got to know what's the deal with the camels. (laughs) What, where did your fascination with the camels come from? <laughs> what can we learn from camels? Camels. So, uh, so this first came to me, I went to a stress management course and they opened the course with a visual of um, a camel with straw on. And, and we're talking about, you know, the expression of the straw that breaks the camel's back as, as our relationship with stress. So that's where the, the idea first came from. But then since then, starting to research the camel it's um it's you know it's one of the world's most resilient animals and so it's got these amazing physical adaptations which which i think draw an interesting parallel with us as humans and the adaptations we need to make to build our resilience so so we do look at the camel as a, a metaphor or analogy for resilience if you like um and as part of the courses that we run we do look at straw as being the stresses in life and and how we make sure that when the camel is carrying straw that there's an equilibrium there and that, you know, there's not a sense of overwhelm or burnout. Um, and I think, too, it, it provides people with a vehicle if they want to, to use that in the workplace because, you know, when we talk about creating a culture of being able to talk about this um, and being more accepting of it in the workplace, it may be easier for some people to go into their manager and say, you know, my camel needs a bit of attention today. Can I have the afternoon off? rather than go in and actually admit to, you know what, I'm super stressed out, I just want the afternoon off, I'm all, all over the place, you know, that kind of thing. So so it gives people, if they want to do that, a, a mechanism for communicating without communicating, you know, in a, in a softer way that might be more accessible to people. It's part of creating a common language that everybody understands. This is a code for I yeah. need help. Yeah. Yeah, and without having to go into details too, right? You can just say, my camel needs some attention, I need to go home and you know, feed it. <laughs> and instantly everyone knows, okay, I know what you're going through. Go and, have go either and of you, 
Have either of you ever lifted a straw bale before? <laughs> no, is it heavy? It's, it's heavy. <laughs> I just when you were when you were talking, I just visually I was seeing these you know big bales, maybe even you know these round bales. Like poor camel, man, just one straw could make a huge impact. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can I also talk about the scale? Yeah. So, so something that came out of both surveys was this feeling of being on a roller coaster. Um, and there were people that you know I had a scale there from one to ten of how are you feeling, and the average score was seven. But what was interesting was like 12% of people in both surveys, 12 in the first one, 13 in the second, had scores below five. Um, and, and people had made comments that, you know, today I'm feeling this way, but who knows what I'll feel like tomorrow and that kind of thing. So I think that's an important thing for managers to be aware of particularly, right, is you don't know who's coming to the office today. You don't know if you're dealing with a, you know, six twos that have just walked through the office or six nines. And you probably want to know that as you go through your day. Um, just so that you can get a sense of how to relate to people, what kind of workload is applicable for people and that kind of thing. You know, that's such a great idea. I, I've been part of many peer groups where actually they start the meeting and they have uh, physical, mental, uh, even business scores where they rate it on a scale from, you know, whether one to five or one to 10. And I think what a great idea, even at the beginning of your meetings to check in, how's everybody doing? Just do a quick check in and honestly tell us where you are on that scale so that we can better understand how to interact with you and, and support you. Um, well, I just want to say a huge thanks for the opportunity to be able to speak about this because, again, it's not something people readily talk about, want to talk about, so it's nice to be able to get it out there. Um, and also I've been listening to your other podcasts from the series and I think there's a lot of valuable information there for managers, for business owners. Um, about how to kind of get through this moment. So uh, I think it's, you know, I'm sure everyone's hugely appreciative of the advice that you're sharing right now. Well, it's been so wonderful to have you with us, Jackie, and you're so generous with your time. And, and I'm so glad that you're making this report available to people who, who want it. And if someone would like to be able to reach you and ask you more about your services or your experience, how can they find you? Um, well, I'm on LinkedIn, so Jackie Edmiston, um, or you can contact us, Breathe, through LinkedIn as well. Um, the website's liveyourinnercalm.com, and then my personal email is Jackie, J-A-C-Q-U-I, at liveyourinnercalm.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And Christian, if people would like to get a hold of you and reach you and, and have a conversation, how can they find you? Uh, they can find me, uh, my website, gp4.com, gpfour.com, or email me at cnapier at gp4.com. And my name is Spencer Horn. You can find me at Altium Leadership, that's A-L-T-I-U-M, leadership.com, or email me at spencer at altiumleadership.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please like and subscribe our podcast, share it with people, and, and have an amazing week.